Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. All right, we're back for Act Two of Volume One Thirty Seven. Uh, did you stretch your legs? Did you buy an overpriced bag of licorice? You ready to settle in for Act Two? I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and we got some great people on Act Two. We have got Grammy Award-winning songwriter, Song of the Year, Jeff Silbar, wrote "Wind Beneath My Wings." We've got. Flying Fig Productions talking about their new show, New Amsterdam's. We've got a musical in development, uh, 1812, a number from them. And we're going to hear another song from William Finn's musical Spelling Bee in honor of its closing on January 20th. Definitely one of my favorite shows. It's on Broadway right now. So um, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Top of the trades. Lincoln Center Theater has announced that Matthew Morrison will play the role of Lieutenant Joseph Cable, Danny Bernstein the role of Luther Billis, and Loretta Abel's Sayre in the role of Bloody Mary, joining Kelly O'Hara as Nellie Forbush and Paula Zott as Emile de Beck in the upcoming production of Rodgers and Hammerstein's South Pacific. The production, which will be directed by Bartlett Sher, will begin preview Saturday evening, March 1st, and open on Thursday, April 3rd at the Vivian Beaumont Theater. Though details of the contract have not been released, theater fans and tourists alike may be pleased to know that Local One, the stagehands union whose labor stoppage halted Broadway for 19 days, ratified their new agreement with Broadway producers on Sunday, December 9th. The contract will last five years. Details of the contract, as explained by New York One, reportedly include a wage increase of nearly 23% over five years. The lowest paid stagehands, who make up 75% of the Broadway workforce, will get an extra 4% increase in the first year. In exchange, stagehands made concessions on certain work rules, including minimum employment levels. The league was able to decrease the minimum number of stagehands required to move productions into a theater from 22 to 17. <sighs> I'm hoping for a little more, actually. But anyway... I'm glad Broadway's back up and running. Michael Rydell of the New York Post reports Usher, who made his Broadway debut last season as Billy Flynn in Chicago, may be headed back to the Rialto as the Golden Boy. Reportedly, plans are afoot for a Broadway revival of the 1964 musical based on Clifford Odette's classic play about a pianist who gives up his music career to become a championship boxer. Usher is in negotiations to play the role, which was originated by Sammy Davis Jr., Composer Charles Strauss praised Usher's performance skills, and while contracts haven't been confirmed, Strauss assures Usher's interest in the role is real. And uh, I'm definitely pleased to hear that it looks like Usher is not a tourist to Broadway. It's refreshing to see an artist at the prime of their career somewhere else also coming to Broadway to share their talents. This winter, Broadway's record-breaking musical Smash Chicago welcomes television icon John Schneider to the company in the role of slick criminal lawyer Billy Flynn for a nine-week limited engagement. Monday, January 14th, 2008 through Sunday, March 16th at the Ambassador Theater. John Schneider is a celebrated star of stage and screen in addition to being an accomplished recording artist and philanthropist. I bet that was written by his publicist. Television audiences will quickly recognize Schneider from his roles in Nip Tuck, Smallville, and as Bo Duke in the internationally acclaimed television series The Dukes of Hazard. Bet that was also written by his publicist. This March, he will appear in the new HBO drama series 12 Miles of Bad Road. Every episode, Top the Trades brings you the latest in theater news and is sponsored by BroadwayWorld.com. 
Be sure to visit BroadwayWorld.com for all of your theater news and theater social activities, including message boards and more. Listening Room. Bette Midler is one of the most beloved figures in the theater and cabaret world, and one song won, won a Grammy that she brought to fame, and that songwriter is Jeff Silbar, who is in the studio today uh, performing some songs from a solo CD and, and talk about his career as a songwriter working with uh, many people and as a storyteller. You're, you're very much a storyteller in your writing, aren't you? I've uh, written a lot of songs, and... Uh, my favorite are the ones that, you know, you have a beginning and an end, and in the end you leave you with a little message, I have to say. Uh, Wind Beneath My Wings was originally written from a man to a woman. Larry Henley and I got together one day to try to write a song for Bob Seger, I remember. My story might be a little different than his, but we wrote that song, uh, except for we didn't have the eagle line. We had, uh, did you ever know you were my hero? And we thought that was a unique thing for a man to say to a woman. And then, you know, then it took us about three days to figure out we'd written a song that kind of has a lot of facets. It could be about your brother, or your father, or your mother. Now, that song had a huge life before Bette Midler even recorded it, right? Yeah, that was one of those stories where I got to, uh, you know, thank my publisher, Bob Montgomery. When he heard that song, he informed me that I'd written a, a standard. And, you know, you're... You're a young man, and you go, yeah, prove it to me. So he pitched that to the biggest and the brightest for a solid year. And no one recorded it. Everyone was passing on it. And I still hear stories from the producers of the artists years and years later going how, how hard they tried to convince their artists to record the song at the time. And the first recording of it that I remember was B.J. Thomas. Um, Chet Atkins recorded it onto B.J. Thomas. But I don't know if it ever came out. Then there was um, Lee Greenwood and Gary Morris, who heard it on a Lee Greenwood album and decided he was going to jump Lee Greenwood. We were waiting on the second single. Another theater tie, and I believe Gary Morris did... Uh, That's did, right, La Bohème. He did Les Mis. Is that what it was? Yeah. yeah. He's got an incredible voice. And, uh, you know... Still a young writer, you don't expect anything, and it went. It was very successful country record, but we never thought that that was the last we'd ever hear of it. And uh, years later, uh, Bette Midler heard the song. Mark Shaman was her music director, and he's got hairspray out now. <laughs> Talk about Broadway guy. But my understanding was Mark Shaman played it for her on the piano, so she had never heard any other version but what he had played for her. So the nuances between the two and the different versions are probably because of that, I always thought. And uh, it became part of this movie Beaches. At that point, Bette Midler was not very hot, you know. I'm a giant fan of Bette Midler. Yeah, yeah, it was a real surprise, hit out of the blue when it really well, turned Well, it on. was. I saw a rough cut of the thing, and I was very excited, and it was, they rushed the movie out, I understand, in time for the Academy Award nominations, and then you never heard from it again. They did, they put out Sitting on the Dock of the Bay and some other song, and midway through the following year, When Me My Wings comes out, you know, no big fanfare, and it just started two and three 
you know, slots in the charts every week. It lasted 20, 30 weeks, just up, 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 and finally became number one, and song of the year, and the whole thing, you know, just kind of what you want, you dream of it. So what was it like actually hearing your name called at the Grammy Awards? We've had some Tony Award winners on here, but I believe you're a first Grammy winner on the program. Well, that year, uh, it was some heavy company, man. It was Mike and the Mechanics, I remember, Linda Ronstadt, and Don't Know Much, and uh, some big ones, Billy Joel. And they stick you all in the same room, you know, pre-party. I don't know if you know this. And you're supposed to yuck it up and wish everybody, you know, <laughs> I hope you win or whatever. And I looked around the room, and I, I just, oh, my God. So I was a nervous wreck until they, you wait and you call your name. But uh, truthfully, I just remember an overwhelming thanks that somebody's name was called because, I mean, I got up there and did it, but I don't even remember getting up there too much. But I enjoyed the evening after that, and I was, it was great. What can I say? <laughs> this album we've been talking about, Timeline, uh, originally was going to be in chronological order. It, uh, it's not quite that, but one of the first songs I ever wrote when I moved to Nashville from Lexington, Kentucky, was a song uh, with a friend of mine named Jim Rushing, whose uh, wife just left him, took his wife and two kids, uh, took her and her two kids and went off to join the ashram up in, in the northwest somewhere. And, you know, he didn't know whether to laugh or cry at this point, but we wrote this song, which is kind of therapeutic, I would think. Uh, I had it included. It's, I think it's the last song on my album. So. She talked about consciousness constantly And how she'd like to raise mine She worked up my chart in astrology She found I was one of a kind she introduced me and then she seduced me And I found myself deeply involved In a most highly respectable, deep intellectual Sexual, social, free-for-all It was yoga and yogurt for breakfast And then off to macrame she fed me a lunch of enlightenment Over veggies and rice Curds and whey And then in the p.m. We did our TM On a blanket out in the hall A most highly respectable Deep intellectual, sexual, social Free for all Sandals and candles and co-ops were all new to me But I developed a taste for red zinger tea Her journal was gone from the nightstand Her bike from the foot of the bed She left me a note in the aloe plant I opened it up and read Hey, you're really neat But I'm off on retreat And I'll see you this coming fall For a highly respectable Deep 
happy intellectual, sexual, social, free for all. A most highly respectable, deep intellectual, sexual, social, free for all. Well, I'm kind of curious how you're still writing and you're still you're still pitching things, right? Yes, I. Uh, I we were talking earlier. I don't know what else I would do my, with myself. I, you know, I I, I'm constantly game's... plugging in cables and tuning guitars and waiting for the muse to come. But uh, ultimately, it's I think it's a hard work, man. Especially 30 years trying to come up with something fresh that you haven't done already, but you also have this head full of 30 years of pop music you know so you're just trying not to step on people's melodies you know I, I, I've heard that the game's changed a lot and actually how songs get you know pitched and you know that a lot of times it's you know you know songwriters kind of on call at a producer's office working in you know working in another room while they're working with an artist and, and various things have you seen the pitching game change much in, in songwriting over the past 30 years absolutely I uh I, when I first started out, they didn't even have arrangements. They had live band and studio that did head arrangements in Nashville. We're talking about, and they had a you know big pile of songs. And if they felt like trying some, it didn't cost them too much to fool around with this song. You know, now it's like by committee, and it goes. They run it, run it all the way up to the promotion staffs, the record labels, and people that don't even make records. You just think they can sell them and. Uh, it's tough to get a yes, yes, you know, let alone five yeses. And more and more, it seems, you know, it's kind of more political game. I don't know. Maybe well, I'm sometimes wrong, it seems to me getting those, like you said, those five yeses results in uh, what I kind of call battle of the bland. You know, the song that doesn't upset the most people is one that gets through the most, rather than the one that the that a few people are really excited about. That I agree with you totally. I know. You know, a funny example might be when you and your wife are trying to figure out what to paint the wall, and you want blue and she wants red, and you end up with white or beige <laughs> just because nobody wants to just, you know, go for it. And uh, more and more, I'd rather err on the side of, uh, you know, anarchy, I guess. I just think you've got to step up and take a shot at something, so... So what are, what are you, you wrote the theme for the My Name is Earl, which we discussed in your interview on Next Big Hit, the other podcast mm -hmm. we do, so people can hear that. Mm -hmm. Well, what? there was a good example. We knew that we weren't going to hook it with anything normal, so we said, hey, let's just get in there with the funkiest groove we could do and then put something hillbilly on the top, and that's the way it worked out. <laughs> what other projects are keeping you busy these days? Oh, right now I'm working with an artist, Shane Henry, young kid from Oklahoma. We just uh, cut three things on him, and we're going to be writing and doing some more stuff there. Also, uh, there's a writer in Nashville that I signed called uh, Josh Osborne, and he's a fantastic young writer. Uh, we're slinging his songs left and right, trying to get him a big hit. So do you, you said you signed him. Do you, have a, you work as a publisher yes, as well? Yes, uh, I have a company called Intunes. And, uh, you know, always looking for some song that's going to get cut through. So I, he I hesitate suggesting someone send them in. But uh, <laughs> if you got one that you just know is a hit, I'll, I'll listen to it. So uh, now you're, let's get back to your new project, which is your 
your this is you said <laughs> this is your debut CD of, for yourself as an artist, correct? The timeline. I put together. Uh, well, how many songs are there? Fourteen. Yeah, there's fourteen on here. It's probably two too many. No, I put together. I started out trying to do a uh, in chronological order songs that have meant stuff to me. Although I've written many songs, and uh, people kept telling me, "I you know you got to have your hits on there." But uh, it's hard if when you're, a, you know, a guy to do songs that were done by country girls, and then some of them were heavy metal songs, and some of them were blues songs, and so. I guess the thread that pulled it all together would be me, and it was that was the most difficult part of the project, is to choose songs that I could deliver in my style that didn't suffer from... Uh, in fact, i got to say, a lot of big melodic ballads were left off the album just because, you know, I, couldn't, I didn't feel like I could quite deliver them. And uh, so there it is, and it took about a year and a half of me doing it in the cracks of uh, the other stuff that I do, but... People seem to be responding pretty good, and uh, they told me I need a website, so I did that, jeffsilbar.com. You can check out some of the songs on there and check me out if you'd like, but uh, I'm anxious to know what you think. <laughs> All right, and we've, we've also did a couple uh, video performances of you in the studio performing songs live from the CD that we're going to mm -hmm. have on the website, Broadway Bullet. They can see those and... We've intercut a couple of those with this interview as well. Oh, great. <laughs> great. Did you play stuff off the album? Um, wouldn't, well, uh, yeah, we can play something off the album. What would you like us to play? There's a song there I particularly like called Footprints on This Earth that I think is a very timely message. So I don't know if you care to play that. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, sure. We'll close out here with that song. Thank and, you. And uh, Jeff Silbar, thank you so much for coming in and... and and sharing with us your experiences in, in your what, 30 years now as a, as a hit songwriter mm -hmm. in the industry? I would say so. So congratulations. Best of luck with Timeline. And uh, enjoy the holidays. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. Here's a song I wrote with my friend uh, Van Stevenson, who's actually moved on to the next life. And David Robbins, who's in a group called Blackhawk. This was on one of their albums, sung by Van Stevenson, who's not really the lead singer of the group. And uh, I always thought it was, you know, my story sideways. So I'll see if I can get through it here to, tonight. Well, it used to be that you couldn't tell me anything. Just another young fool who thought he knew it all. I was running hard and fast thinking I was invincible. Till I hit the wall Yeah, I need you now Like I did back then To help me get back up On my feet again Only you And you alone Turn my stumbling blocks into stepping stones Where you stood by me when everyone else had written me off And you stayed with me for reasons I'll never know Surrounded by troubled waters I was all but lost 
You are my bridge across You are my bridge across Girl, I need you now Like I did back then To help me get back up On my feet again Only you And you alone Turn my stumbling blocks Into stepping stones Stepping stones All the times I stumbled down You lifted me up To a higher ground And I need you now Like I did back then To help me get back up On my feet again Only you And you alone Turn my stumbling blocks Into stepping stones Turn my stumbling blocks Into stepping stones Thank you. <laughs> in the best of company. Well, here we are in New Amsterdam. Uh, not that it's called that much anymore. And a theater company, The Flying Fig, has taken a nice twist on that. They focus on women's shows, and hence the show is called New Amsterdames. And I'm sure we're about to find out a little bit more what that's about. We've got the co-artistic director of Flying Fig, Michaela Goldhaber, here with us. How you doing? I'm great, thanks. So, uh, what is this? Tell us a little bit about New Amsterdam's. Well, Flying Fig Theater wanted to create a play about the women of New Amsterdam, the Dutch colonial period of Manhattan, and we really wanted to focus on Anna Yeralaman, who has a street named after her in Brooklyn, Yeralaman Street, and brought to New York City the donut, for which we're eternally grateful to her. And then with research, we found a lot of other characters. We asked Ellen K. Anderson, who we've been working with for several years now, would you like to write a play about Dutch women in Manhattan? And she said yes. And she had the idea of bringing beavers into the story, another key part of the commerce of early Manhattan. And uh, so we have a play about the women in beavers of New Amsterdam. All right. Well, uh, one of your actresses just just walked into the studio, so she's going to head in and join you there. She can grab the other headphone. All right, so actress Tina Lee has just joined us in the studio here, and um, I understand you're going to do a monologue from? Just the opening bit, yeah. <laughs> All right, do we need a setup, or this is the well, opening? So I just want to mention, this is uh, Michaela, that the play also takes place in the future as well as the past. It takes place in New York City in 2009, which is the 400th anniversary of Henry Hudson's quote-unquote discovery of New York for the Dutch. All right, so you ready, Tina? Yeah, sounds good. 
Sweetie Chin for New York One. A sweet New York morning to you from Beaver Street in Lower Manhattan, where our city is reveling in Dutch fever, fueled by the Hudson 400 Quadricentennial Celebration. Wooden shoes are everywhere. Jimmy Choo clogs have three-inch balsa wood heels. Manolo Blahniks are covered in tulips, and plain old Klompen are on sale on every street corner. They're so hot. Directly behind me is the Museum of the American Indian, built on the site of the earliest Dutch market, Hat Markveld, and today the starting point of some bizarre wooden shoe shenanigans. New Yorkers awoke this morning to find three separate trails of clogs beginning right here, leading along the banks of Manhattan, boldly crossing bridges and boroughs, and ending up at the very top of the East River, Staten Island under the Gothels Bridge, and in Brooklyn under the Verrazano Narrows Bridge. Homeland Security reports the trails of wooden shoes present no immediate threat. Our chief of police said, no problem, someone will walk off with them. Just how Dutch mad will our city go before this quadricentennial is over? <laughs> you have so, a very you have a very sexy voice. Oh, thanks. <laughs> it's just for this part. <laughs> My spastic everyday voice is used for other parts of the play. <laughs> well, now I, I understand that in general, flying figure, you're on the hunt for interesting, interesting showcases for women and and historical. What's, what's kind of the whole mission statement there? Well, our mission is to tell women's stories on stage, and the idea is to find stories that we wish had been in our high school textbooks, that we wish we'd known women were an active part of history as we learned it. Uh, so today we find those stories, and we commission playwrights or find plays about them and mount them here in New York City. We've been doing this for five and a half years. So, like, what was the last one you did? Uh, Shiloh Rules by Doris Baisley. That was the New York premiere of a play about female Civil War reenactors. So that covered what women were doing during the Civil War, as well as contemporary attitudes towards the war and contemporary race relations. So it was a really interesting exploration. So then how did you settle on the, the Dutch in, in New York here for the, your newest production? There's a couple reasons we've been interested in the Dutch. Um, my co-artistic director, Heather Andersma, is of Dutch descent, and we always joked about how between her and me we've got New York history because she's Dutch and I'm Jewish, Lower East Side, immigrant family. So this is our Dutch play. and. Um, a lot of it was inspired by a book by Russell Shorto that came out a few years ago called The Island at the Center of the World, a wonderful popular history of Dutch Manhattan. And um, that's really helped get a lot of people interested in what happened in New York when the Dutch were here and how it still resonates today. So, Tina, what, what, what have been some of the more interesting revelations to you with, uh, what have you learned about the Dutch in, in early New York? Um, well, not just the Dutch, but just that early New York was incredibly diverse. It's ridiculous. I mean, right before English and, and Right now, we're so, you know, <laughs> We kind of came back full circle. <laughs> right, right, right. But, I mean, like, uh, women owned land. There were Africans in America who were not slaves. At this time, slavery was not a widely practiced tradition. Um, there were Africans who owned land. There were There were Jewish citizens at this time. And the Dutch 
ruled for a short 40 years, and right after that, the English took over, and that's when women lost the right to own property, where slavery was instituted as a practice, and all this other fun stuff. I went, actually went to the Museum of the City of New York to kind of look into Dutch history, and it's merely a blip because they were just here for such a brief time. So Wow, I'm going to show my ignorance here because I actually... Go for it. The Dutch actually ruled... New York slash New Amsterdam for a while? They didn't rule, per se, but they were more dominant in New York, whereas England was more dominant and organized in Connecticut and Massachusetts. And it was more like a trade thing, and there wasn't any kind of violent resolution. It was just more lack of organization, maybe, that kind of led to the more organized English. Okay, yeah, I don't have the history books on my shelves to peruse every day, but I was going, No, I hear you. I didn't realize. I know, I know. As far as the Dutch are concerned, they discovered New York City for... Europe um, with Henry Hudson's voyage, and they did set up a government for about 40 years before the British took it over. And you can really trace the multicultural history of New York to that Dutch period. That's the case that the Russell Shorto book makes very persuasively. (laughs) So um, what has been the process putting the show together? Because this show wasn't in existence before you decide you wanted to do a show about Dutch women. Exactly. We, (laughs) as I said, we actually went to the playwright and said, you want to do a play about Dutch women? And then it became a research adventure for me, for Heather, for Ellen, trying to find who will the characters be, what will the story be? And that's evolved over two years. And we've done readings of it at the Five Dutch Days celebration that happens every November now. We did it last November as a reading. We did it this November as a preview to the production. And um, it's there have been many actors who've contributed tremendously. Tina's been with the project since March, and we're really thrilled that she's uh, working with us on this final production. That's sweet. So since March, you know, most rehearsal periods for these kind of shows are, what, a few weeks? <laughs> it still sort of feels like that because, like, as we discover stuff, it's ongoing. It's pretty insane. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, but it's e- insane. Everybody is really part of making the script happen. The playwright's very open to actors' suggestions and ideas, and she's there in rehearsal a lot and is great at picking the things out that happen in the moment that really should be part of the play. So she's a lot of fun in that way. Now on the your postcard flyer for New Amsterdam, there's a, a beaver head on a woman's body. Um, maybe you can explain why? <laughs> uh, well, the postcard actually is an adaptation of one of the costume sketches for the show, a young beaver woman character who has a beaver mask and also wears period clothing. So we have these figures who are part beaver, part human that are uh, some of the characters in the play. Right now, um, when the show goes up, there's just going to be a f- couple performances left. Um, but there are a couple really interesting performances because I've heard a lot of great things about. Well, it's at the Here Arts Center until yes. the 17th of December. Uh, the 16th. 16th. We close on December. Sunday, the 16th there, and then we do a quick load in at the Queen's Theater in the Park, and we'll be there for two nights, the 18th and 19th of December, Tuesday and Wednesday, 8 p.m. And you can get out there on the 7 train, and then there's a free shuttle bus to the theater. Those tickets are only $10 at Queen's Theater in the Park. You know, uh, you know I actually haven't been out to the theater yet, but I've heard a lot of good things, and it's a really nice It's a beautiful, nice space. beautiful place. They treat you really well, and it was important to us to do this show in more than one borough because... 
the Dutch had an effect on all of New York City, and in fact, the outer boroughs tend to have more of the Dutch history that's still present, more of the buildings. So we're grateful to the Queens Council on the Arts for this grant that we could do a performance in Queens, and also to the Netherland America Foundation for supporting the production. <laughs> all right, and to get tickets, they can go to... Is there a specific um, website? Or? For the HERE performances, you can go to their website, HERE.org, and buy the tickets directly from their website. For the Queen's Theatre in the Park, it's QueensTheatre.org, and you can buy the tickets on their website. All right. Well, Michaela Goldhaber and Tina Lee, I thank you so much, Tina, for, for managing to get here in time. Thank I know you. the subways are running a little in. late. Oh, that's <laughs> crazy. And uh, best of luck with uh, New Amsterdam's, the Flying Fig Theater Company. Uh, have a great run. Thank you. Thank you. In development. Okay, we're going to play a song here from musical 1812 that is in development. Uh, this came to my attention, quite frankly, because the authors uh, came to me to do the demo. They did it in my studio, which is actually kind of a fun story for the opening number here that we're playing, because uh, if you haven't seen my studio before, it's small. It's a nice, good-sounding studio, but it's it's not a large studio. It can hold a, you know, a few people at a time in the vocal booth. Uh, but this number involved, like, a chorus of 12 big guys. And uh, <laughs> so it was quite a production number, and, and I, I, I'm really pleased with how it turned out. And I think he's got kind of a nice mix of um, Gilbert and Sullivan meets Jason Robert Brown. Uh, the show is about the War of 1812. The music is by Mark Sutton Smith. Lyrics are Michael J. Smith, and they both wrote the book together. And uh, if you're interested in hearing a little bit more, you can go to their website, 1812musical.com. They got a whole bunch more songs up on that website, uh, and it talks also about the cast that participated in the show, so it's uh, worth checking out if you're enjoying this. Meanwhile, here is the opening for 1812, a new musical. Might as well be in jail, thieves and lowlifes surround, companies entirely male. And then, of course, you could get drowned, sent to stand to get shot. Such an honor, I know. You might come home And then might not Is there more to fear from friend or foe? There's a thousand ways that sailors die There's a food to serve the enemy But who cares what you're done in by When they bury you at sea? Hey, ah, when they bury you at sea and fleas Nothing washed but the deck One day stifle, next day freeze If you bitch the shore to stretch your neck Captain's mad as a hare Food's not fit for a hog Salty, scratchy rags to wear It's a life to kill on a junkyard dog When your number's up, fall overboard Or your corpse will quickly Keeps 
Caucus. The green hills of Yonkers, Mamernick, Piscataway, Possipony, Flatbush, Flatbush. And my friends will raise a glass to me. Short a limb or two, let's hope I'm still a man. But it's strange on shore, the deck don't budge. And you ask for grog, but they give you tea. And I miss the naval breakfast, must or
right, if you found that interesting, just go to 1812musical.com. They actually have like nine, ten songs that they did here. Um, they're all available for download, too. They're uh, letting you have it for free, so check it out. Uh, a particular favorite of mine from it is the ballad At Sea. The main reason I chose the opening is because I was just amazed I pulled it off in my studio. It was quite a big number, and uh, I was pleased. And again, um, for anybody who hasn't heard my announcements in previous episodes, if you are looking to do any recording, whether uh, extensive like that or simple, I've got reasonable rates in a studio conveniently located in the heart of Times Square. Just give me a buzz at 6 646-345-3433 or you can send an email to info at broadwaybullet.com if you're interested in finding out a recording or if you know somebody who's looking for a recording studio. Um, definitely be pleased to talk with them. Listening room. Well, I am sad to see Spelling Bee is leaving Broadway, the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. Definitely one of my favorite shows, seen it a couple times. Uh, I was very pleased to have William Finn on the show talking. And uh, I did want to, like, give a farewell in terms of one of my favorite numbers from the show. This is My Unfortunate Erection, sung by Chip, also titled Chip's Lament. Uh, you can pick up the soundtrack uh, at shikaboom.com. It's on Shikaboom Records. Or you can go to iTunes. Uh, we have links to it from the show notes at our website at broadwaybullet.com as well. But uh, enjoy the song. Fritos, M&M's, Oreos, all for one dollar. It is tradition that the person eliminated from the competition is fair game for derision, especially the alpha male who will sell goodies at the bake sale. Anyone for brownies, anyone for chocolate chips, anyone for anything that isn't dated. How could I have been eliminated? You wanna know how, you wanna know how, you wanna know why. My unfortunate erection is destroying my perfection. That everything I once did, I did perfectly Last year's champ defeated Because of Marigold Coney Bear Because there's something and not a thing between us I don't blame my brain, but I do blame my penis My unfortunate protuberance Seems to have its own exuberance Anyone for M&M's Delicious and appropriate Anyone for Chewy Goobers Expensive. Anyone for buying the shit that I'm selling Because my stiffy has ruined my spelling Erection, erection, my unfortunate erection Whoa, it's ruining my life, it's ruining my world It's ruining my, ruining, ruining, ruining my life Which is why I'm selling this PTA confection It will ruin your complexion All because of my unfortunate Erect 
spelling bee, you will be missed, and I'm sure uh, adored by high school censor boards all around the country for years to come. Curtain call. Roundabout Theatre Company's limited engagement of Pygmalion will play its final performance on Sunday, December 16th at 2 p.m. This revival of George Bernard Shaw's classic Pygmalion stars Claire Danes in her Broadway debut as Eliza Doolittle. Tony Award winner Jeffrey Mays as Henry Higgins, Tony Award winner Boyd Gaines as Colonel Pickering, and J.O. Sanders as Alfred Doolittle, directed by David Grindley at the American Airlines Theatre. Pygmalion will have played 31 preview performances and 69 regular performances. Previews began on Friday, September 21, 2007, and opened officially on Thursday, October 18, 2007. And uh, congratulations, Claire Danes, on all of your glowing reviews and your debut. Come on, be like Usher. Come back to us soon. All right, well, it is sayonara for the holidays as we end season three of Broadway Bullet. Ah, oh, it's already been a year and a half. It's so crazy. Uh, we'll be back on January 24th. That's the fourth Thursday in January, and then we'll be going every, you know, second and fourth Thursday as normal. I'm sure we're going to be getting some good stuff in. I hope you guys have a great holiday. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. Happy New Year, or whatever you feel like celebrating. And, uh... I'll look forward to coming back to you and bringing you the best of Broadway, off-Broadway, off and beyond. Well, I wouldn't want it to be too perfect every night. It is live, after all. If I see one more Christmas carol regionally, that Dickens hey. has made enough money and beyond. Many minutes trying to sell myself. No shame. But we kept all the jokes that made people laugh from before. And so the ones that didn't. Because Rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook musical theater. Working at Lincoln Center, it sounds very huge and elevated. And that's what it feels like, like once you're working there. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc. to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, go to broadwaybullet.com. 
I'd love to help you launch your career.